Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. everyone and welcome back to another episode of Thinking Ahead, a GFK Insights podcast. This is Hannah Leiter, your host, however a short host today. I'm bringing you a panel discussion that was recorded a couple of weeks ago about the ROI on actionable insights. Moderating the panel discussion is Christine Foster, CCO at Allen Turing Institute. In this episode, the panel discusses where the value of insights is going in the coming years, where your focus should be, and how you can build on existing systems to create a data-focused business model. They also head into a discussion on how you strategize based on your consumer base, whether they are leaders or laggers, and of course, automation. The big question is, is how can you take all the data and make it actionable in the first place? The panel discussion was a part of a large event, Decode the Future, that explored dynamic new approaches to data, intelligent automations, and how they empower your business to make better decisions faster. If you want to look further beyond the panel discussion and hear some more of the discussions and presentations that happened, I will make sure to leave all those links in the show notes. Welcome, everyone. I get the pleasure of introducing this fine panel. We have Christoph Auer-Welsbach, co-founder of Kaizo. We have Warren Saunders, president of Global Sales GFK. We have Francisca Divis, go-to-market director, Microsoft. We have Anthony Cousins, CEO of Factmata. So welcome, everyone. So could you tell me where the value is going to be in the coming years? Uh, starting with Ant, across instrumentation, data collection, data storage, processing power, <coughs> analytics, insights, decisions, all those areas, which part of the data value chain is going to get the most of your attention? So uh, at Fact Matter, we're focusing on uh, texture analysis and, and semantics. Um, we think that um, with all the content we're, we're all kind of creating and sharing online, it's still mostly text-based. Um, so from Facebook posts to tweets to Reddit articles, um, even memes shared online, all the comments generated around a single image, um, it's all text-based data. Uh, but the challenge we've got right now, what we're all spending a bunch of time on, is manually analyzing that data to get to the kind of quantitative data points we need to automate our processes. So that's where we're focusing is on automating the process of understanding textual content so that brands, PR agencies, social media agencies uh, can, also, can get to those kind of quantitative data points uh, in an automatic fashion. Good. Thank you. And Christoph, what about you? Where are you focused? Sure. So, I mean, to add to Anne's point, right, uh, I think the focus number one is since data storage is cheap and it's available, that we really look at the data processing. So we need to get smarter about which data we process and how we process it, because that's expensive. And that also takes a lot of time and a lot of resources, even on the skills side, which we're talking a bit about as well. Um, second focus for us at uh, Kaizo in particular is really about how to derive actual insights out of this data. Um, and we're not talking about only insights from, um, you know, from analytics perspective, but even for decision-making perspective. So how can you enable every knowledge worker to um, nurture kind of the data that is available and insights out of that to make the right decision at the right time to achieve their goals um, and basically to adhere to the targets that basically an organization has set out for them. Thank you. Francisca, over to you. So um, me being in the IT industry, obviously we rely on a lot of data. So we are looking at the, at the 
any kind of data on a daily analysis, on a weekly analysis, on a monthly. So we are looking at a lot of data that we also pooling together. So this is essential to actually uh, look at all the data across the value chain and to have it all at our fingertips. So we are basically using the um, power of analysis and using the power um, of technology. So I also assume that for the next coming years, um, there will be a lot of processing power that will be needed together with software that's optimized so we can actually have all the data at our fingertips. What about you, Warren? Are you headed? Well, I mean, gathering data has been our business for over 80 years, and we do that across both digital and, and analog means across hundreds of thousands of retailers. So doing that more quickly, doing that more accurately, uh, and having that data there and ready in a standardized format so that we can analyze and, and uh, overlay automated intelligence on top of it remains incredibly important and critical to us. Back to uh, Christoph for a question on re-engineering. Um, there are so many companies that are just about to do a bunch of re-engineering and building upon existing systems, right, to get to this future of being data-driven. Can you tell us what these big businesses can learn from startups who've already done data, um, who've already done automation? Right. I think it's, it's on the one hand, quite generic, which is um, where bigger companies, corporations most likely, they have a lot of resources typically available, uh, which means that they approach a big problem also from a, trying to solve it from a big conceptual um, 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 perspective. What startups are due to the resource constraints um, um, in many ways um, do is that they try to focus on a very narrow use case and try to solve that in this particular use case with the end customer, the end user in mind. And that basically gives them a competitive advantage. And if we take this now for the data automation systems in particular, um, where we talk about ETLs to so extract, um, transform and load rights, tasks, services, um, they're basically what startups have in mind is that they work right at the beginning with a specific set of customers. So they have the end user in the focus and they try to generate the value at the end user level and not trying to build around to solving kind of this whole problem um, from a conceptual perspective and from a conceptual level. So with this actionability focus on the end and this end user focus, um, I think that's on the data automation side um, where larger organizations and corporations can learn from startups to really, again, narrow down on the end consumer um, and on the end consumer case, basically, that they're trying to, to solve and then broaden out slowly, step by step by growing with their customers um, um, to yeah solve the bigger picture, if you will. Good. And Francisco, what about you? Yeah, I think for me, the biggest advantage is agility. So so startups are much more agile than the, than the large corporations that have kind of their established paths. So this is a great opportunity that should definitely be used. Also, um, startups can bring these kind of new perspectives of how they analyze data, what they do, um, and then make their decisions on, on that. They can also um, help remove some of the complexities that are present in some of the big corporates and by, again, being uh, agile on that. And then last but not least, um, they can resolve or help to resolve business issues that large corporations have been dealing with and saying, well, we didn't quite get around to solve that problem. But then the startup comes in and says, okay, this is something I can either help you with or this is something that is not even a discussion in our company because we solved it already. So from that, I think there's a lot to learn uh, from startups on that side. You know, um, at the Turing, we are researchers in this field of uh, machine learning and data science, and we actually work typically with other researchers, but also with businesses. And we find some of these very same things. You can have a discipline that's entirely sort of, you know, in its 
prime and really sort of um, conservative, and then in another discipline can be sort of just cropping up and finding new ways of even doing research. So even in the scientific domains, you're finding that this sort of data approach is vastly changing um, the way the way teams are working. Um, so it's interesting to hear those perspectives. Um, I'm just going to check. Yeah, maybe for... maybe Christine just go ahead. Maybe Christine, just just to add quickly to that, right? Um, what you just said is, is is quite spot on. I think we talk a lot when we talk about data. We often talk about bias, right? And I think bias is also with organizations that have existing practices, um, as as Francisca said, right? Or have even existing data, uh, lots of data, um, where they are biased basically on how to utilize that and how to approach the the problem. Where startups come in and basically with a different perspective try to solve it again with limited resources in a different way, and that might be a competitive advantage in the end. Yeah. Um, and actually, um, a question here has come up about the data itself, um, which is, I think, best directed at Anthony, which is, what should businesses or organizations really do with complex, inaccurate, or even misleading data? What, what should they do about this? Um, well, I think it's a, it's a good question, uh, and I can see why it's come up at the, at the time. Um, so I think probably the first thing to recognize is that data isn't going to get any less misleading or any kind of less complex. It's going to get more, though, and that actually is going to increase at an exponential rate. So I think recognizing that and getting your strategy set for that. Um, and the second thing is probably skills. Um, so making sure that you're training everyone in your company. I would say, kind of controversially, not so much investing in the data teams. That's already happening. And I'm sure there's data teams watching right now. And in the leadership, who are probably also watching right now. But I would say across the whole of the business. Um, so making sure that grassroots, everyone in the business understands fundamentally the concepts that they're playing with. Because this, you know, these, these tools they're using on a daily basis, often multiple times, multiple the day they're relying on the app of AI and machine learning. They don't understand the fundamental concepts. Yeah. So for companies like mine, where we in an AI business, we're trying to work on explainability, um, we need to kind of be met halfway. Um, so I would say, yeah, make sure you're training all of your teams. They don't have to become data scientists, but the, the fundamentals of machine learning. Yep. And Warren, when we think about this journey of going from sort of partial automation all the way to sort of full mm -hmm. intelligence, full automation business systems where everything's integrated and all the industries you work with are fully optimized, um, how far along do you think we really are? And what's inhibiting any further adoption? Yeah, well, I think it, you know if you look kind of historically at the FMCG type organizations, they've been much better and much more fast moving in terms of their adoption of data and their usage of data to drive decision making, whereas I think some of the sort of white goods and MDA manufacturers have tended to be uh, a little bit more, a little bit slower on the uptake. I think Peter made an interesting point at the beginning of today's session when he talked about COVID having accelerated things by five years. And I think, you know, we're really seeing that at the moment as channel strategy, pricing strategy, uh, promotion, etc. You know, everything kind of gets thrown up in the air all at once. Consumer behaviors are changing. We don't know how quickly they're reverting to type or whether these are permanent shifts that we're seeing. So I think, you know, we need to look at that data a lot more frequently and in a lot more depth. I think if we look at what the inhibitors are to that adoption at the moment, you know, we've talked a little bit about some of the technology, but I think the primary inhibitor still remains a cultural one, which is, you know, having the systems, having not having the systems in place, but having people understanding and, as Anthony said, trained on and being able to use the systems and take the intelligence, you know, out of the systems and then having the speed within the organization itself to make those decisions and, and act on them fast. And I think, you know, we're that's something that, that is coming much more slowly as, as we see it amongst our customer base. Mm. And Francisco, what about your customer base? So laggards or um, leaders or laggards? Uh, are there any areas you'd like to highlight? 
Yeah, so, so naturally in the IT industry, um, obviously everybody is kind of tech savvy and, and really keen on, on uh, driving innovation. Um, but the, back to your question, I think we are just at the beginning, right? We are at the beginning of the opportunity and there's such a great opportunity ahead of us that, that we cannot even grasp of, of how big uh, it will actually uh, be. But important will be that there will be standards that will be set, um, that there are uh, like the people look at that. But at the same time, there will be also ethical concerns, right? To, to make sure that like how far do we bring the data how much how what do we do with that um does it get personal um where should be the, the handover points between privacy and public and so on so there's a lot um, going on there and i think important will also be how fast do people want to uh, adopt their data and how 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 fast they want to immerse themselves into that um, entire business and i think um, as warren was alluding to it depends on what kind of vertical industry are you looking into there there are some that are kind of more the laggards because um, historically they have not been exposed to a lot of data and and and, and the savviness that goes with it but then on the other end there there are verticals that actually are really developed that actually are used to using data to make their decisions and so on and um so i think there will be a lot of great opportunity uh, ahead of us. And I've found with working um, with various businesses that it's actually those that had traditionally invested in R&D already that were already you know, prepared for that and putting a good amount of their top line back into R&D, they, uh, they tended to adopt these further. And it didn't necessarily have to do with the, whether they had data themselves, but actually whether they were in the habit of sort of building new. Um, and so back to the skill shortage, Anthony, with your microphone, just a little bit more sort of precision on exactly where sort of beyond that sort of, right, that sort of core technical people, where, who, what, what, what should they be learning? Um, so we're dealing with people across every aspect of the business. Businesses. And we've, we've talked yeah. a lot here about kind of sales and marketing data, but also product data. And there's, there's probably people here largely from that persuasion on, on the call. Yeah. Um, but where we're dealing with them primarily is across the business. Yeah. So it's you know, if you think about the people dealing with data inside businesses, you know, HR deals with a huge amount of data, legal, finance, also product sales, marketing. It's it's everywhere in the business. And I think actually we, we joked prior prior to the prior to the uh, panel um, that we need to start people actually much earlier in their in their learning cycle. So this isn't yeah. just about businesses. Um, this is you know my baby due next month this is you know buying them the books on quantum computing quantum computing for babies or machine learning for babies we've got to start this actually much earlier in the cycle through universities through schools yeah. through apprenticeships so we kind of need to make sure when people arrive in the business they're already primed um, for that basic data analysis and basic understanding of machine learning because for us it's it's across the business that's where the skills gap is it's not so much in the depth it's in mm. the breadth yeah, and we've really found that the um, it's not so much about training, while that's important. We've actually found that it's a side-by-side -side working of the discipline. So, uh, you know, at the sort of researcher team level, actually having interdisciplinary researchers having to sit down together to produce something together. Right is actually goes a lot further than a sort of lean back training exercise. It's, yeah. it's only working together. You understand the kind of the value, the outcome. Yeah. And that's the key thing. So right. you can do as much as you want in training and education, but it's yeah. when you're at the coalface in a business where you need to kind of derive actual value and actual yeah. insights. Yeah. Uh, that's where that kind of core, core training comes in. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the practical side. Um, Francisca, I wanted to come back to you on skills as well. Yeah, so so definitely. I mean, skilling needs to start early, right? It, it needs to start in school. Even pupils that are just learning how, how to take care of math or, or um, languages or whatever it is, um, they need to, to make it a habit um, to kind of work with data and, and 
learn how to make decisions based um, on data. And I, I, I think it's important that we not only go for, let's say, the mint part um, uh, of this opportunity at schools, but also look into how, how can we smartly convert um, all the data, all the, the technology that is at the, the fingertips to actually um, create value out of that. So, so uh, we should make people comfortable to learn in school, like uh, how to discuss and debate, how, how to use the data point in order to make their point. So kind of connecting data with the conversation so it becomes a natural habit. And then when they um, become educated um, of being uh, like the, the students and then having made it maybe the first job or the second job, then this is something that's already in their DNA without having to be learned um, when they start in the IT industry to say, okay, that's the first time I get exposed to any of um, um, GFK research data or something. But this is really something that um, people can already deal with and say, okay, I know how that works and I can analyze it and I can actually also talk about it in an educated fashion. So I think getting people the hunger um, to work on that innovative side is very important. Yeah. What about you, Christoph, in your line of work? Yeah, maybe to add to that. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, for us, it's all about, um, you know, the enablement and how to create more knowledge workers and showing them, um, even in a behavioral way, how to leverage data for them. And when you look into analytics and insights, it's typically coming out of a management practice. You know, we typically start with reporting and, and they were, yeah, we trying to get insights. And then we, inside organizations, we try to funnel them down. And I mean, of course, Anne and Francisca, I like the approach that we're going to, you know, we start in schools and the kindergarten. But, you know, we have billions of people that are in jobs right now, you know, where this is over. So we need to find ways of how we can, as you said earlier, and right, how we can get them to the stage and to the level that they can leverage the data available and leverage, you know, to become better knowledge workers. And when we look inside the organizations, I mean, 5 to 15% are typically management. The rest is the general workforce. And that's our goal with Kaizo. We want to provide platforms and tools that enable kind of the average employee, the average colleague and teammate to utilize the data available to become better at what they do and to show them ways of how they maybe work more effective and that in the end benefits the organization. Mm. So it's really to distill and say, okay, it's not about management only and how to do this on the top level, but really to bring it down to the mm. individual actual person who is operationally working actually with the data on a day-to-day basis, but most likely they don't know at this point. And Warren, can you um, can you elaborate on how you sort of help your clients in th those areas? So what what it's like to work with your teams? Well, I think the key thing is really around how we democratize the data as broadly as we can. I think if you look historically at large organizations, you would have had a small group of people who would be the kind of data gatekeepers and they would gather the data together and they would disseminate that in their business or do the analysis on behalf of the business. I think if you can bring that intelligent automation layer Part of what that brings you is the democratization ability to just let everyone have access and let everyone, you know, in a simple way, understand some of the decision support and intelligence that's coming out of the system. Yeah. You get different questions asked, don't exactly. you? Exactly. Right? Yeah. The I think ones who start with the data tend yeah. to start with the data. And the ones who start with the question, you get actually quite a different Agreed. Uh, feel, don't you? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a little bit about the, um, the recent sort of advances in this field. Um, I don't know who wants to take this one. So listen to it and decide who wants to take this one. But um, if you had to name a really big advancement and the single biggest advancement in the last 10 years, last decade on how we've used AI and data and analytics, what would it be? 
I'm going to, I've got You want to go? Yeah. Cause, only because I'm in the space, right? Yeah. Uh, so machine reading, uh, machine reading, machine yeah. learning. Um, Optical the, recognition. Exactly. The, yep. Those those replacements for the grunt work of humans trying to analyze massive amounts of data. Yeah. The um, eye to the brain to the pen. Exactly. Moving Digitized. humans yep. into the creative aspect okay. and, and machines into what they do best. That for me is it. Anyone else want to have a go? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe I quickly. Um, for, for me, it would definitely be that um, we can make these tools available, you know, on a, on a, on scale. Um, yeah. You know, when we look at, you know, what, what the Internet basically brought us and what, you know, all these improvements yeah. on latency and everything brought us, we now have SaaS solution um, that's, you know, where every person basically can leverage on it, you know, from starting with the phone where, you know, what Anne said, also machine reading, but, yeah. you know, on the image side, what you can use in order to improve images, right? But you can do this, uh, you can utilize it instead of when I look back five to eight years ago, right, where it took months basically to prepare data. And then basically to start analyzing it and then to start deriving actions out of that for one particular use case only. Yeah. Anyone else? I've got a maybe, maybe quick input from my side yeah, as well. Yeah. Sorry. Um, just on the technological layer, that's very, very important uh, that also this advances together with all the demands that you actually just mentioned there. Because um, without this kind of symbiosis almost, that uh, technology advances together with the amount of data that flows in, with the way we are processing data with AI and so on. It's very important to also um, have that and make sure that we get um, fast um, technology, fast processors, fast software, and to kind of crunch all the data in order to have it at our fingertips, not only waiting for like a week um, to do uh, whatever data analysis you want to run or that it takes a month for AI to learn a certain tasks. So, so very, very important to have that uh, together. Yeah. And I've got a good question here um, asking, um, how have any of you incorporated the implications of climate change um, in the AI analytics? So I'll take a first go while everyone thinks about this. Um, so very clearly in machine learning, there's the problem of um, processing power and the, the use of, and sometimes the waste of electricity with these very high data, high processing techniques. Um, so everybody really needs to think about that. The other area where um, these things intersect is very much the um, analytics um, and measurement and supporting and predictions of what's happening um, to the planet and to the biosphere and so forth. And I would say that that um, era of measurement and coming to sort of reports about how slow or fast the ice is moving, is we've sort of done that already. I think many organizations have sort of given the information, but that um, clearly not enough. And what we're starting to see is actual work in the area of how do you retool, how do you re-engineer entire um, supply chains or processes so that the outcome is closer to net zero or carbon reduced or so forth. So I would say that um, that's kind of the evolution I've seen, uh, that intersection of the two. Um, but I'm guessing some of you will have something to say about risk, uncertainty, those kinds of areas. So who would like to go? Um, I can I can say very, very yep. quickly, with, oh, uh, as, as, a, as a startup, as an agile business, I'm not sure our, our climate impact is huge right now. Um, yep. But what I can say is we're tracking misinformation on this very topic. Um, um, so yeah. that that's our, our angle is to make sure that um, both in how we're processing information, how we're presenting the information, and exactly the kind of customers we allow to sign up to our product um, is making sure those guys are responsible with the truth yep. um, and responsible with the facts. So, yeah. I think sort of understanding the consumer journey and the path to purchase, but also, you know, the difference between what people say and what they do in relation to sustainability. So, you know, a lot of people will make the right noise, but then they'll buy the cheapest product. And I think understanding as a manufacturer, you know, your, your target demographic and what features are important to them, and, you know, and how you explain those features from a sustainability point of view to make sure that you're getting the messaging right and make sure that you're getting the feature set right um, and actually getting the right products to the right people. Mm. It's super important. Anyone else want to weigh in? It's a big question. 
I mean, for us, I think. Go ahead, Christoph. For us, it's quite um, um, it's quite simple. I mean, we we you know as a performance management solution, right? We cannot do much um, to positively impact it on an act. Well, let's to actively impact it. I think what we do, and and this comes actually out of a, of, of customer inquiries, is that um, we use less data, um, and that means that we basically found ways and and identify data that we don't need from our customers, and we basically throw that away so that we don't have to store that and we don't have to process that, which basically reduces the costs on the one hand, but on the other hand also um, um, reduces the you know carbon footprint basically that um, we need in order to provide our services. Yeah. And the other um, interesting use case I've seen as well is actually um, much publicly uh, available data. You know, public companies who may not necessarily be reporting on their carbon measures and so forth. Actually, it's quite easy now to go and get that data, right, with optical recognition, even if it's not in a format that's easily used. And so a lot of benchmarking is starting to happen. And so I guess as a sort of comment there, it's um, CSR is starting to sort of happen to companies as well as what they report themselves. Um, and so, again, it's always useful, I think, as a business to not just look at your own data the way it appears internally, but what's available externally and how that's coming together. Um, you might be surprised to find where you are um, in those kinds of rankings and benchmarkings. Uh, so I think I'm going to come to a um, question at the end about um, advice you'd give to businesses. Um, so given everything we've talked about and all the thinking around intelligent automation, give some thought to what are the two pieces of advice you'd give to a business, starting with Francisca. Yeah, so definitely I would say you have to skill up your workforce, your entire workforce, and then use the power of data to, to actually immerse yourself in it, to, to kind of live and breathe with it. So here, I think really look at your workforce and immerse yourself there, see what they need in order to be these kind of knowledge workers that we were talking about. That would be my best advice for you guys. Thank you. And Christoph, what about you? Two pieces of advice. Yeah, as a yeah, as I said at the beginning, um, have the end user um, in the focus. Um, when you try to solve a problem, look at how does your workforce, uh, your people basically can add and contribute to that and how you can make them smarter and better knowledge workers to solve it for you. That's better for the environment. That's better for the end customer than in particular. Um, and it makes the employee more happy as well because, um, you know, they have a higher achievement and higher goals and just a happier people. Yeah. What about you, Anne? Uh, I'd say training to um, training not just your data teams, but training your entire workforce, not just in, in data analytics, but actually the basics of, of machine learning. And the other point I'd say is probably get your strategy straight. So make sure you've actually outlined some of the potential value props yeah. from, from this kind of analysis. Make sure that people are inspired and, and eager to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, that really resonates. Um, we often speak to companies, who, you know, who ask us to do some research into AI, and you sort of say, well, AI for what, right? Mm. Right, just like with anything, a platform for what, data for what, analytics for what, um, and it, it's very hard to optimize around an unknown goal. Yeah, right. Like what means experiment, but at least have some kind of goals. <laughs> exactly, some sort of objective function that you can sort of um, come together with and really, um, really make sure you're pointed in the right direction, whatever that may be. And what about you, Warren, if you had to sort of give two pieces of advice? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I look at data. Data can be quite dangerous. You know, think yeah. about the way we use social media on a personal level. We use it, we tend to use it to validate our own beliefs rather than understand what's really happening. And I think we can easily fall into that trap in the corporate world as well. So we'll always find data that tells us what we want to hear. I, I think the best thing, you know, really or the best piece of advice I can give is find data that challenges the status quo, that challenges your accepted process and your accepted sort of outcomes. 
and then work back from that to understand you know why that's different why things are changing and really that can help you on your own journey as a cultural shift as a business to have a slightly different thought process in the way that you make decisions and how you use data to drive that rather than and i think this is really dangerous as i say just using data to validate what you already thought in the first place which is kind of you know zero sum gain really in in in, in most cases yeah that's really in keeping with where the research community is headed. Yeah. You know, the days of sort of, you know, machine learning jockeys just sort of fitting out answers in domains that they don't understand are well, well past. Um, and I think in general, what we're finding is a tremendous respect. I see it in the business communities. I see it in the research communities, but tremendous respect for domain knowledge. Yep. So whether it's a clinician working alongside, you know, a research data scientist or whether it's, you know, a Agreed. platform provider working with um, a particular client in an industry, you see it over and over again, um, that, that all coming together um, and putting it together. Well, I wanted to thank everybody on this panel. Um, so from Francisca, Christoph and Warren, um, wanted to thank everybody for coming together and having this discussion. Um, I think I heard this over and over today, um, that culture point, you know, not just training, but also that sort of deep understanding across uh, across us all. Um, and um, the idea that, you know, startups can provide valuable lessons as well um, to big companies. And actually, I think the future is really bright on adoption. It seems like there's plenty to do from here to there um, and plenty of hard work to get there. So thank you very much to the audience. Thank you to all of you um, for listening in. And there you have it. Christine said it best. Thank you all for listening to the end of the episode. As I said in the beginning, this was a panel discussion and part of a larger event, Decoding the Future. Please make sure to check out the show notes so you can get some more information on that. And there might be some other presentations that happened during the event that would be valuable to you. So I highly recommend that you go and check that out. That is it for this week. I hope to see you back for the next episode next Wednesday. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, you can click the link in the description. And please make sure to leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you like about the show. And of course, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button to keep up to date on the latest insights. We'll see you next time so you can keep thinking ahead.